Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Good morning, Southeastern. Thank you for braving the cold and the rain to join us this morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I hope that you do. I trust that you do. If you will turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Happy Reformation Day indeed. Just to, uh, to add to Hutch's mention of that, it is a special time and I want to be thankful for it. I don't have a great Reformation message for you today. It will only loosely tie into those things, but I also do want to be mindful of the fact that uh, as Protestants, more specifically as Evangelicals and Baptists, that we participate in this great Reformation tradition, which I'm deeply thankful for. That said, as you turn to 1 Corinthians, I want to, I want to mention first, this is one of, my, one of my favorite letters, one of my favorite books of the entire Bible. Not least because I'm from a little town in Mississippi called Corinth, so anytime Paul talks to the Corinthians, I take it a little bit personal, even some parts more than others, in fact. At the same time, this is a letter that is thick theologically. It's rich, it's textured, it's specific. There are places where Paul names names. He calls people out. He calls a spade a spade. This is not boring reading, you might say. Even for someone who's not even altogether interested in the things of Christ might be raising eyebrows at certain points in this letter because of how specific Paul gets. In fact, he's writing this letter sometime around 56 AD, just a few years after he had planted this church in Corinth, where he had spent about 18 months with these people, as he tells us, or as we're told in the book of Acts chapter 18. And I trust that you know a little bit about the background of the Corinthian church. This is not the healthiest church of all the churches that are named and listed in the New Testament. This is a church that Paul celebrates much of what God is doing in and through them, but at the same time, they are riddled with division, they're riddled with strife, they're riddled with a number of different issues, which is part of the occasion for Paul's writing of this letter. In fact, by the time we get to chapter 4, and at the end of chapter 4, Paul pivots and begins to deal with some things very specifically, but by the time we get to chapter 4, it seems to me Paul has dealt with at least two primary issues that are going on in the Corinthian church. First is that they have defined spirituality, spiritual things, godliness. They've defined it as an inside-only kind of activity. These are people who, they celebrated spirituality. They wanted to be known for their spiritual gifts. They wanted to be known for miraculous things and amazing things that the Lord might do spiritually in them. They may have even enjoyed things like really long prayer vigils or charismatic services that were extravagant and had a great reputation. But at the same time, it led to all kinds of issues where they have separated this sort of soul spiritual thing from the body itself. In other words, they prioritized the soul dimension, the spiritual dimension, but they separated it from actually living faithfully before God in the body. This is why these are people who can, who can really celebrate spiritual things, godliness, but at the same time, you have things going on in the church like people fighting over who gets to stand in the front of the line for the Lord's Supper. Or they'll put up with a guy who apparently is sleeping with his stepmom. The second major thing that's going on is as a part of this spirituality problem, this bad definition of spirituality, a great book on that, by the way, is by a guy named Vaughn Roberts who wrote a just kind of an overview of 1 Corinthians called True Spirituality, and I think he really gets to the heart of this whole thing. But the second issue is that they, they're holding on to something like godliness by association. There are these, these factions and this popularity contest thing that's going on. Paul names at multiple points. He'll say, some of you have tried to align with himself, Paul, 
or Apollos or Cephas or Peter or even Jesus. And he says there are these popularity contests. And it's as though they think whoever baptized them that maybe they could one-up somebody else. If they were baptized by Paul, that's better than someone else. Or if they were more closely associated with Paul or Peter or Apollos, that they could kind of compete. But it also seemed as though they felt like there was some kind of godliness by association. And this led to division and factions. Along the way, Paul is addressing how uh, you might even think about himself as well as some of these other leaders. And when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul is especially asking the question, how should we, and by we in that context, he's talking about himself, the other Christian leaders of the day, Apollos, Peter, and others, how should we evaluate ourselves? And I think he leads us to ask this question, how do we measure ourselves as Christians? What is success for Christ followers, especially for Christian leaders, for those who are leading in the church. And here's the main question that Paul is after, and this will be the title of our message this morning. If you want to jot this down, will you be found faithful? Will you be found faithful? Look at the person beside you and ask them that question. Will you be found faithful? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Will you stand with me for the reading of Scripture? I'm going to read our passage and then a brief moment of silence, and I'll pray for us and we'll jump in. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. If you, if you mark in your Bible, underline servants, underline stewards, underline mysteries of God. Moreover, verse 2, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. You can underline the word faithful there. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brief moment of silence. I'll pray for us and we'll jump in. Father, it's good for us to be quiet for you have spoken through your word. And now, Lord, we ask that you would give us grace to have eyes to see and ears to hear the Lord Christ more clearly in this text that you also might give us a greater clarity about ourselves and that ultimately, in the spirit of this passage, that we would be found faithful, that we would pursue faithfulness to you above all things. For this, I trust, is the way of Christ. And we ask for this in his name. And all God's people said together, amen. You may be seated. Here's how we'll proceed in our passage this morning very quickly. Three observations and then a so what about faithfulness. Three observations and then a so what about faithfulness. Observation number one, servants and stewards lead God's people. Say that with me. Servants and stewards lead God's people. Look back at verse one. Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now bear in mind, as we step into this passage, Paul is especially concerned with Christian leaders. 
He's, he's even referring to himself, to Apollos, Peter. He's, he's tying into the end of the previous passage. He's especially concerned with Christian leaders, even though I think the application of this passage expands to all Christ followers. But I want to drill down a bit on how Paul approaches this right here at the beginning. He's especially concerned with Christian leaders, and he wants to use this kind of language to associate with himself and even some of these other great early Christian leaders that we think of, Paul, Peter, Apollos, and others, he applies to himself the language of servant, the language of steward. The language of servant and the language of steward. And then he says, and here's what we're stewarding. By the way, that term steward is this idea of, of household manager or janitor or custodian. Of all the names that Paul might apply to himself and to these great Christian leaders, these kinds of people who, if they were to walk into the room this morning, we would be tempted and probably rightly so to stand and to honor them for all that they did. But yet part of the problem in this church that he's writing to is that they have put them on such a pedestal that it's actually created divisions. And Paul wants to knock the legs right out from under that whole thing. And he says, here's how, here's how we evaluate ourselves and here's how you can see us. We are servants and stewards, managers, household cleaners, custodians of the mysteries of God. What is this about the mysteries of God? You could sum that up very simply as the gospel of Jesus and everything that is associated with it. The gospel of Jesus, this good news that we have forgiveness and freedom and hope in life and the completed work, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that we get to be as Christian leaders, we get to steward this great mystery of God. Part of what I think that means is that we protect these mysteries of God, this great, this great gospel. We protect it from impurity and from false teaching and from any kind of false infiltration, but we don't just hold on to it by, by way of protecting it. We also seek to promote it around the world. Maybe even like Paul has already alluded to in chapter 2, verse 7, when he referred to the secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Paul is wrapping up this conversation about factions, this, this whole thing about true wisdom versus false wisdom, making a broad point about how to regard Christian leaders. And he does so by undermining any kind of honorific titles. These are people that we might want to call doctor or honorable or your highness or some of these kinds of father and big time type of, uh, of highfalutin type language. But instead, Paul, Paul wants to take the low place here. And he applies to himself and to these other great fathers of our faith the titles of servants and stewards to describe the role of even the greatest Christian leaders. We're still just servants. Very quickly then, I think there's something, maybe a few lessons that we can be mindful of before we even step into point two. First of all, I would ask the question, are you currently a Christian leader or aspiring to be a leader in the church? If that's the case, listen close. This is not profound, but it might be something that you need to hear this morning. If you are a Christian leader or aspiring to be a Christian leader and you are above the title of servant or steward, if you're above the title of servant or steward, or even if you would never say it, but it seems, to, it seems to rib you a little bit, it seems to offend you ever so slightly, to cut you ever so deep, that someone would refer to you lowly like a servant or a steward or a household manager. If that bothers you, I love you, but you're not fit to lead God's people, at least not yet. Do we respect our pastors and our church leaders? Of course we do. We have such gratitude for those who oversee our souls now and those who have in the past. But beware of the pedestals and beware perhaps even more of those who insist on the pedestals. 
There were some. I remember a conversation a number of years ago where I was putting together a job description and, and we had put a particular title on it and I felt like that title was appropriate for the person and the responsibilities that they were going to have. And, and then part of the next few weeks of conversation, this person was going back and forth with me, not about pay, not even about responsibility, but wanted a title that sounded just a little bit more important. Just be mindful of that. Be mindful of where that begins to infect us and also be mindful of where those things begin to pop up in other people. Number two, not only are servants and stewards those who lead God's people, but number two, success is measured by faithfulness. Say that with me. Success is measured by faithfulness. Look at verse two. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Paul's used this word steward now twice. He mentions it in verse 1, but then it's as though he's already talked about servant-type language earlier in the book, and it's as though when he pens this word steward, he decides, I'm going to double-click on this a little bit just to highlight the importance, of, the importance of being not only servants, but especially this language of steward. Because the moment that you talk about a servant, that, that even that kind of deacon-like language or deacon-like idea might still hold some measure of prominence in the church. So he wants to take it a little bit lower, not even just servant but stewards, that custodial kind of language. A number of years ago, my parents had started these, uh, I forget what they're called, these, uh, these financial plans for our kids, these 529 plans, such I think that's what they're called, where you put money in these, these accounts for your kids and you let them accrue over time so that when they turn 18 or whatever, that fund can, can go to help pay for their college or might maybe buy them a car or something like that. And I remember my parents, they'd created these accounts and they were gonna sign them over to my wife and me so we could oversee that for our kids. And they said, we have to make you the custodians of this. And I was like, custodians? I thought maybe like executive or something but it was custodians. And it was interesting to me. I thought, but you know, that's exactly, that's exactly what we're doing. We're just, we're, we're managing this. We're overseeing this. This is not my stuff. This, this is something that my parents have created to give to my kids. It's not my money. That's their money. My job is just to steward it as a custodian, not as the owner, not as an executive, but as a steward of this very thing. And very similarly, Paul wants to use this blue-collar kind of language, apply this not title of superiority, but a title of subordination. Stewards and servants are not measured by their impressiveness. Have you ever noticed this? You take someone who's maybe lower down on the totem pole at some type of company or organization, and they're, they're part of the cleaning staff or the facilities crew or whatever. Some of you are in the, in the room, and you're part of that. Have you ever noticed, by and large, these kind of people, they're not measured by their flashiness. They're not measured by what's impressive about them. They're most of the time measured by their faithfulness. Are they consistent? Are they reliable? Can we depend on them to do the work that we've given them to do? Brothers and sisters, faithfulness is what we are measured by, not flashiness. Faithfulness, not flashiness. Number three, Paul then tells us that the Lord himself is our judge. The Lord is our judge. Now listen to what Paul does. When we go verses three through five, it's as though in that, in that verse two, when he says found faithful, it's as if when he penned the word found, it's almost like he heard a gavel slam. It's almost like he immediately found himself in a courtroom context where he's imagining someone is rendering a verdict. It's how will you be found? courtroom kind of language, legal type terminology. And listen to what he says as it relates to judgment. He says, with me is a very small thing that I would be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. 
It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. One of the greatest fears in our culture, in our time, is the fear of being judged. Have you noticed this? Just a few weeks ago, I was, I was on a panel of a group of students, uh, prospective students here considering our college. I was leading this panel discussion, and I was just interested. It struck my attention that one sweet little girl sitting about halfway back in the room that we were in, she, she raised her hand. This was just sort of an open Q&A time, and she raised her hand, and she said, can you tell me about the professors here? She said, if you miss an assignment or if you're struggling with something, here's what she said, will they help you or will they judge you? That was her question. Will they help you or will they judge you? I said it depends on who you take. I would avoid Dr. Pace if you can, but nonetheless, everybody else is pretty good. <laughs> I'm just kidding, and I hope I have a job when we're done. <laughs> Paul, however, doesn't care if you judge him. But here's what's going on. This is, not, this is not like the great apostle Paul being a little bit better than you are. This is not Paul being sarcastic or snarky or arrogant or anything else. Paul is imagining three different directions of judgment. There is that kind of horizontal, cultural, that sort of uh, public opinion type of judgment that, to be honest with us, all of us are affected by that in one way or another. And since the advent of social media 12 or 13 years ago, it has only accelerated and probably increased everybody's anxiety by 80 or 90 points in the room. There's that kind of judgment, and Paul says, I'm not worried about that. I don't really care what you think about me. He also, then he turns in, and he says, I'm not even judging myself. And he's honest about that. He's not saying because I'm above it. He says, I don't know anything that I've done to, to, that I need to confess necessarily, at least nothing that I haven't already told you. But he said, That's, I'm not even judging myself. Instead, he's acknowledging there is a judgment coming, but not from any human court and not from any personal court. It's a judgment that comes from God himself. And Paul is suggesting to us his, his judgment is the only one that matters. And here's a little more maybe what's going on in the background with the Corinthians. You pick up on this some in 1 Corinthians. You probably catch a little bit more in 2 Corinthians. But the truth is, let's be honest, the Corinthians probably didn't love Paul that much. Just saying. It's possible. Maybe even likely. They didn't think Paul was that great of a preacher. They thought he was boring. They said he preached the same sermons over and over. They said he wasn't nearly as, didn't have the rhetorical flourish of somebody like Apollos. Maybe he wasn't as down to earth as someone like Peter. And, and they didn't love it. Paul was one of these people, you know who I'm talking about, the kind of people that when you go to church on Sunday and you find out so-and-so is preaching, you're like, I think I need to keep the nursery today. Or maybe I should do like the security team. I need to guard the parking lot and make sure nobody's going to get in. Or even better, you're on the tech team, so you have a reason to be on your phone and your computer the entire sermon. You have, you're, you're justified in that. That may have been some of even what's going on with Paul. He preached the same sermons. All he talked about was this gospel, and all he talked about was this cross. And these were a people who were addicted to the flashiness of the whole thing. They wanted Apollos to preach because when Paulus preached, man, he preached pretty. He probably was a good-looking guy, and he spoke so well. And it was all of these cultural things that they celebrated. And Paul is mindful of that when he thinks about this judgment language, and he's considering, how will I be found? In other words, what kind of verdict will be rendered towards me? And he's saying, I'm not first concerned with your opinion. I'm not even concerned with the opinion of myself. The standard that we will be judged by is faithfulness. That's what he's after. 
faithfulness. Not brains, not looks, not athleticism, not talent, not degrees or credentials, not how much money you have or gave to the church, not your years of service, your perfect attendance in small group, none of that kind of stuff. Faithfulness, Paul says, that's, that's what we're after, is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So what about faithfulness? Let's think about this for a minute. What is faithfulness all about? I want to start by just a few descriptions of what I think faithfulness is not. We tend to adopt cultural measuring sticks for success, don't we? We tend to sort of adopt these comparison types of measuring sticks that are handed to us inadvertently and very subtly by just the water that we swim in, in our worlds, in our homes, in our towns, sometimes in our churches, maybe even in our schools and institutions. Cultural success celebrates things like this. I've got five of them. I'm just, I'm just going to broad brush a few things. Here are five of them, maybe subtly inspired by five solas or something like that, but something like this. Here we go. Number one, cultural success celebrates Completing the to-do list, getting stuff done. That's one of the things that we will celebrate. And we would love to be measured, or maybe sometimes we feel like we're being judged by, have I actually done everything that's on my to-do list? Can I actually outdo the next person and actually be found faithful or actually just be found successful because I have a long to-do list and I'm really good at getting stuff done? That's one of the things that we celebrate culturally as success. A second thing might just be accomplishments. Achievements, trophies, diplomas, publications, mission trips. Friends, hear my heart. A place like this, as wonderful as it is, and there's no other institution on the planet that I love and feel more at home in than a place like Southeastern. But we can be infected by this notion that we are measured by and the kind of success that we ought to evaluate ourselves according to is accomplishments and achievements and credentials and trophies and diplomas because we're, we're constantly walking around and trafficking around with people who either are a degree above us or a degree below us or maybe a, a few hours ahead of us or a few hours behind us or whatever the case is. And we tend to, we tend to sort of elevate ourselves or de-elevate ourselves according to how we measure up to the people beside us in these sort of accomplishment and achievement kind of measuring sticks. Another cultural one is authenticity. Just how authentic can you be? Can you really make your outside match how you feel on the inside? And we celebrate these things sometimes in the most grotesque kinds of ways. Others is just through a virtual sense of keeping up appearances on Instagram and TikTok and other things like that. But maybe here's one. Here's a fifth one that I think may have us upended perhaps more than others. It's ultimate balance. I get this question all the time. How many times have you guys gotten this question, especially if you're a, a faculty member or a pastor or a Christian leader, how do you balance and then fill in the blank? I probably get that question, I don't know, five times a week. How do you balance fill in the blank? And I think it's attached to that first one that I mentioned. It's sort of this, this to-do list mindset. It's that I'm successful or I want to be found in perfect balance because I think that as long as I can sort of overlap all of these things in my life and have this perfectly organized Venn diagram of my relationships, my calendar, the tasks that I've got to get done, the stuff I want to do, my self-care, the Netflix shows that I want to watch, as long as I can keep all of that together in perfect balance and show up on time with my shirt tucked in like everything everything is in order, surely I will be found successful. 
In my heart, friends, Buddhists pursue balance. Christians pursue faithfulness. Christians pursue faithfulness. Have you noticed that Christianity is a life of extremity? Extreme love for God and others. This is our first responsibility. Extreme love for God and others is what God has called us to. And in this extremity of all things, in this extremity, the Lord promises us that there is joy and there is purpose and there is even rest there. Faithfulness above all things. Faithfulness is found in a cross. And our Savior has hung on one for you and for me. And then he calls you and me to take one, carry it in our backs, just like we read with Dr. Bible. Put it on your backs and walk around with it. This is faithfulness. You may not feel perfectly balanced about it all, but this is faithfulness. And this is what we're called to do. We want to talk about balance as though the Christian life is that perfect and evenly divided life across all the things that we think we're responsible to do. But brothers and sisters, hear me. We will not stand before the Lord. Listen close. We will not stand before the Lord and he will say, well done, my good and balanced servant. That's not what we're hoping to hear. He'll not say, well done, my good and successful. Well done, my good and well published. Well done, my good and married with children. Well done, my good and magna cum laude, wealthy, influential, successful, and every other kind of metric that you might done. What we long to hear is when we stare our Lord in the face and the kind of judgment that Paul is reminding us of, there will be a day of reckoning and we stand before the Lord. What we long to hear is well done, my good and faithful. That's what we want. That's what we're after. Good and faithful servant. You see, faithfulness It levels the playing field. Faithfulness levels the playing field. People are gifted differently, and praise God for that. People are gifted differently, but we're judged by the same criteria. You might on the face of that think, well, that sounds terribly unfair. But the Lord is not judging you according to my gifts or me according to your gifts. The Lord is evaluating us according to faithfulness. He's not comparing us one against another, but rather according to faithfulness. Have you faithfully stewarded everything that God has given you? I lay that before you already this morning. Have you faithfully stewarded everything that God has given you? The first concern of this passage from Paul is for Christian leaders, but I think it applies to everyone. So what is faithfulness after all? Let me give you just a shorthand definition. A shorthand definition. Faithfulness equals this. Living like everything belongs to Jesus. Living like everything belongs to Jesus. That's it. Live your life as though everything that you have, everything that you have belongs to Jesus. Let me talk first to Christian leaders and then we'll broadly apply this to everyone as we wrap up. To those who are currently serving in some kind of leadership or preparing to serve in leadership, just three things I want to remind you of. First, it is about faithfulness, not flashiness. There are all kinds of temptations to use the ministry, to use the ministry to elevate ourselves, but at the end of the day, when we stare our master in the face, he will evaluate us according to faithfulness to the ministry. And it's important for us to be mindful of that faithfulness over flashiness. Now I would ask you as well, are you stewarding the mysteries of God? Are you stewarding them well? 
Are you playing fast and loose with the text? Are you being cute and clever with your messages or with your small group leadership? Are you trying to find some way to be a little more tweetable and a little more quotable? Is is that what you're after? A little more flashiness and not that concerned with faithfulness. The second thing I would encourage Christian leaders to do with respect to faithfulness is to pastor locally. What do you mean by that? You say, I'm a pastor of a local church, I'm serving in a local church, but oftentimes the temptation is for us to continue expanding our ministry ministry footprint, continue sort of broadening your brand or sort of expanding your image to make sure you get a little more exposure, a little more influence, a little more followership across the social platforms. And I just want to encourage us, first and foremost, be faithful pastoring local. The people who are in front of you are your first neighbors when it comes to the ministry of your church not just the people that you might can attract from miles and miles away. Thirdly, just to be mindful, social media is not your judge. The court of public opinion is not your judge. The Lord himself is our judge. And what he will evaluate us according to is faithfulness. Have we gone about our ministries as though everything belongs to Jesus? You're just a custodian of these things after all just a keeper of these things, managing his household until he returns. What about everyone else? And this is where I do want to loosely tie it into Reformation Day. One of the great things that I appreciate about Luther's, Martin Luther's influence is soon after the Reformation really began to sort of take off and to gain traction, there are two things at least that that Luther did right away. One of the things is he insisted that, that the Bible get back into the common vernacular of everyday and ordinary people. He wanted to bridge the gap between the clergy and the common Christians, and he worked very hard to do that. And two ways in particular that he did that was one, he turned around and almost immediately he wrote he wrote handbooks for family worship. Did you know this? dedicated, most of, the, most of the time dedicated to the head of the household because he wanted to make sure that fathers in particular knew how to lead their families in prayer. And the fathers in particular knew how, he gave them prayers for morning, for dinner, and for evening, and even taught them how to recite things like the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments. And he wanted to bring that back to especially families. Another thing that he did was he established or at least sort of identified these categories of vocation. He identified that with respect to our our life, especially as Christians, all of us have these vocations at church, at home, at work, and in community. Vocations simply meaning part of this calling that we have, these responsibilities. And as a Christian, you may have more than those four, but probably not less than those four. So when it comes to faithfulness, I just want to ask the question, what does faithfulness look like across those categories very quickly? Let me just hit some high points as we wrap up. At church, are you being faithful at church? And now I'm I'm not just talking to Christian leaders. I'm talking to everyone. Stewarding things like your membership. Are you being faithful in your commitment to your church? Did you sign some kind of membership commitment or did you stand before the congregation at your church and give some kind of impression that I will be here, I will be faithful? We are now family of God and you're hardly found anywhere. You're not serving anywhere. You're always taking, never giving, never helping, never serving. What about giving of your time and attention to your church? Do you realize, by the way, and this could be applied across multiple of these categories, do you realize that your attention, where you place your eyeballs at any given time, is one of the most monetized and commodified matters in all of reality right now? One of the things that's churning the overall GDP of our country and many others is what can they do with your attention? They want your attention. 
And if they can take it away from the people who are in front of you, the neighbors in front of you, the church members in front of you, maybe even your own children, they win. And I think we'll give account to the Lord for that because, you know, when we stand before the Lord, we can't be distracted with our phone in that moment. You have to look him in the eye and he'll look us in the eye. One of the things that we have, something the Lord has given us that I think we give account for is your attention. Are you always distracted by the people in front of you? Are you always looking for something else? Are you looking past the person that really needs you in that moment so as to get to someone maybe a little more advantageous for you? Or are you actually giving your attention? What a gift. What a gift of your attention, your time, a moment of looking someone else in the eye and hearing what they have to say. How are you doing with that at church? What about at home? Just the same question. Are you, are you stewarding your relationships? Are you stewarding your resources? Are we faithful with our time? What about our neighbors when we're at home? What about those that live close to us? And some of you might be like, look, right now I live in seminary housing or I live in college housing. Do you realize that the people that you live next to right now or that maybe you share a dorm room with or share an apartment with, you get really good practice at being a good neighbor. In fact, it may be really hard practice at being a good neighbor. Prepare for married life. That's part of life. Are you stewarding those relationships well? Are you stewarding those resources and those time well? What about at work? I'm going to get a little in your business here for just a minute, but I just want to ask these questions. When it comes to faithfulness, are you stewarding your work? Everything that you have, faithfulness is this, living as though everything that you have belongs to Jesus. What about your job? Can you stare Jesus in the face? And with good integrity and good intention, say, I do good work. I'm a faithful colleague. I'm a faithful employee. I'm a faithful servant with the responsibilities that I have. Can you look your boss in the eye at review time and say, I've been faithful with the responsibilities that you've given me? Can you look Jesus in the eye? If he were conducting your quarterly or end-of-year review, can you say with integrity, faithful steward, as best I can, not perfect, but faithful, or disgruntled slacker? More known for your complaining than you are for your consistency. More known for your wasting of time than you are for your faithfulness. More known for your not showing up on time than for your dependability. What about in your neighborhood? You realize also the people who are close by you, people who will live close to you in the future, they are people who need to see Christ in you. You'll give account. I will give account for those neighbors that we have lived next to? Have we stewarded those relationships or have we been so busy, maybe even busy with things like the ministry, that we haven't actually been a neighbor to those around us? Maybe other areas in your, um, in your community or in your neighborhood, opportunities to coach, opportunities to lead as a town commissioner, opportunities as a school volunteer, the presence of Christ in your community. Have you been able to do those things? I think we have to steward these things. I realize, by the way, some of you are thinking, Benjamin, you just talked about it's not all about balance, it's about faithfulness, but already I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. One of the things that I think we have to be mindful of is that every season of life comes with different approaches to our faithfulness. There will be times when the most faithful thing that you can do is leave your phone aside and maybe leave your calendar aside because the newborn baby needs a lot of your time for a while. 
There will be another time, maybe much longer, much later in your life, when your parents, your ailing and dying parents, they will need a lot of your time. You won't be able to be as committed. You won't be able to keep that, that Venn diagram perfectly together across balancing and checking all those boxes that you want to have. But what it looks like for our lives to be governed by this cruciform shape of living, loving God and loving other people, is according to faithfulness, not according to all of this balance. Faithfulness is not some long to-do list. Jesus said, by the way, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We live as though everything that we have belongs to Jesus. And we live longing for these words above all things. Words that provide us such joy, such rest, and promise us such purpose and such peace for eternity. We long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father, first and foremost, we thank you for the life and the hope and the joy that you give us in Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you have set us free from the slavery of sin and death and have joined us to yourself that we might be part of the family of God. But Father, we confess that we can become overwhelmed by the busyness, by so many responsibilities in life, by so many boxes we, we feel like that we have to check, and we can begin to evaluate ourselves according to cultural standards for success rather than finding peace and joy and rest and being faithful to you above all things. Father, I also confess this is a learned discipline. This is something that does not come easy for so many of us, but Father, I ask that you would give us grace that we would be found faithful above all, that we would pursue faithfulness in accord with love for God and love for our neighbors. May we be found faithful. For the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.